Hi, my name is Tara, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Tara. So we're, getting, we're going a little rogue at this meeting today because um, I don't have t- the qualifications that I think most people have speaking at this meeting. But, um, but, I do, um, I, but I really like threw myself into this program and do a lot of service, so I think it just was a little confusing about where, where I am in the program, but I'm pretty new. Um, my qualification, I came in 10 months ago. And I've been abstinent from flour and sugar for seven months. Um, yeah, so um, I came into this program, and the first meeting I was at home for the first time in a long time. I, um, my, I have outside help, and my therapist about four years ago when I started with her suggested I go to OA. I was living in Northern California in a place where meetings were not that available, and I just didn't even know what it was. And... Um, the, the thought sounded really ominous and so I just kind of shelved it until a point where I got to um, a pretty big bottom and then I went to a treatment last, um, last fall and um, when I came out of treatment a series of steps finally led me to OA um, okay so I guess I'll do the, the format of uh, how it was what happened um, uh, how it was what happened and what it's like now and um, how it was, uh, my parents uh, are like real hate Ashbury hippies, um, like really lived on hate. <laughs> and um, sounds kind of interesting, which it was, but my father was also a pretty heavy drug addict and then a drug dealer. And my mother was severely depressed. Um, and so I was thinking about on the way over here, like, what sums up my childhood is kind of like that movie where, you know, you're in the plane and it's rocky and then like you finally like there's something wrong and you go to the to the cockpit, you open the door and there's no one driving. The, there's no one flying the plane. And this is like my childhood. Like there was nobody flying the plane. And um, I kind of was like, OK, well, then I'll fly the plane. And then it just was super rocky and the landing was rocky. And, you know, it was just a mess. Um, My father cheated on my mother when I was three, and then he kind of came in and out of the picture after that. Um, My mother has this disease, and I remember watching her soothe herself with food. Um, And I think I've always had this disease. I remember just, we didn't have a lot of sugar in the house because my mother was always trying to keep it at bay. Um, and she was trying to do the real hippie, like, you know, healthy eating thing most of the time. But when I went to friends' houses, I would just binge on sugar. I remember just feeling like, oh, my God, this is so great. You know, they have muffins and chocolate and sugar cereal. And then, you know, I think because my own home environment was was a pretty uh, solemn place with food that I just it just didn't flare until it finally did. Um, yeah, let's see. My, I have two sisters that I don't have close relationships with. I think when you have a lot of family trauma that you either like really bond with your siblings or you just kind of go your separate ways, and we kind of did the latter. Um, but this program has kind of helped me feel like there's some light in, in um, reconnecting with them. Uh, um, yeah, for me, I, I just... My... My childhood was 
so my my father was a drug dealer and there was no like of course that wasn't out in the open it was like i, I always laugh because i think the first time i remember lying about what he does i think i said he was a writer because it just seems so nebulous and like strange you know and like anyone could really be a writer and you didn't really have to explain it um and i think actually he we were instructed to to give that um to give that answer when people asked what my father did um and we never really asked but you know we saw drug abuse we saw him using a different name when he was speaking with people um we saw i saw drug deals um and i remember in elementary school um uh, we had one of those like dare i was in the the um, age of dare to keep kids off drugs and there was a video that was like in the video the girl was turning her parents in for for doing drugs and i remember thinking oh my god is that what i'm supposed to do like i've seen a lot of my parents doing drugs and their friends and i'm like you know i was driving the plane i was flying the plane so i'm like am i supposed to turn them in which i didn't but i remember that thought crossing my mind um and you know i think when you learn that your what your family is 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 shameful and that's what was kind of happening to me at a very early age that we we were not okay that it's not okay to be who we who we are that we need to cover it up that we need to lie about it um i think from a very young age i started doing that so thinking back i'm like that that young girl didn't even have a chance to be herself because she was too busy always covering up um the shame of her life and so i just i mean i pretty much went through my childhood lying to everyone all the time and pretending that i was okay and that my family was okay and that my dad was a writer and that my mom was just really busy which she was i she went to work when we came home from school um but i was really good right away at deflecting from myself not answering questions, being vague and lying. And I've had a lot of um shame and and uh I beat myself up about the lying from my childhood a lot and this program has helped me see that like that 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 was my survival technique. That little girl, that's what she had to do to like get through her life because eventually, you know, I studied really hard I got good grades and I got a scholarship and I left and that's when I was 18 and I didn't go back so that was part of my survival technique to get to where I got um but unfortunately you know I always told myself that I uh move forward but oh, I I just move forward I just move forward and really what I did was just shut shut down and so everything that happened um really until I started with my therapist when I was 36 and entered program at 39 and now I just turned 40 um was just a shutdown and I was really good at convincing myself that I was just good at moving on um and then the disease caught up with me and um and it, everything unraveled gratefully I'm grateful for the unraveling now um so that I could see that I just didn't deal with it. I just moved on and and all that stuff was still there. All those painful memories and all of the the lies and um you know, it's interesting my disease has always come out in my body. I feel like um 
when I was really young, I, I started wetting the bed, and I wet the bed from when I was seven until when I left my family home at 18. And I never even put it together until I started with my therapist four years ago. She's like, well, you left your family home. Of course you stopped. Because we, we tried everything. You know, I just, that, was some, that, was, that was how the stress came out. Because I was a good student. I was a ballet dancer. I was cute. I got invited to parties. Um, but I was in a constant, you know, when you're in a constant state, when you, ha- when you lie to someone and you know you're about to get caught, and there's that anxiety around that lie, that was like my whole life. That was my every day because I, I had so many shameful cover-ups and lies going about who I was, who my family was. You know, all I wanted to do was fit in with the family whose dad was an engineer and whose mom stayed home and took care of them and they had a dog and a pool and, you know, they got a bathing suit when they needed one. I mean, there were so many just basic things that didn't happen with in my situation that I just like, you know, could project myself into, uh, into some other life and kind of almost convince myself that I was living that life so that I could convince my friend's parents so that I would get invited to spend the night and to birthday parties. Um, but that takes its toll. It really takes its toll. I think I first noticed it taking um, a toll in college when the compulsive eating, um, you know, I... It, the, the wave went compulsive eating and then restricting. Compulsive eating, restricting. And I kind of got good at that. But I was like, I would eat a whole jar of peanut butter and feel really sick. I never became a bulimic. I tried. Um, and then, you know, restrict for two days. And um, I was in a, the world, I was in the dance world. So, you know, there was all kinds of disordered eating and nobody even really discussed it because it's just a part of that world. Um, but I remember always feeling like I wasn't, my body wasn't nice. My body wasn't good. And I had a, I had a great figure. I, uh, my body was great. Um, I know I was healthy. And um, I, I developed at a really young age. And I started getting attention from, from men and from people at a very young age for my body. So I think I started having the, the association, like, I am what my body is um, at a very young age. And so... Um, I think my first compulsive behavior was probably promiscuity and um, and that you know that's really a harsh thing for a young girl to to, to kind of play with and um, that led to a lot of isolation I would have boyfriends and like isolate and just be with that boyfriend um, Never keeping anyone too close because when you're not being your authentic self, when I'm not, when I'm not, wasn't being my authentic self, I wasn't able to, to really have a full connection with anyone because how can you connect when you're just lying about who you are all the time? Um, and I still have an issue with that. Like, it's still really hard for me to stand up here and tell my truth. But I'm so grateful that this program is allowing me to finally tell my truth because I'm unraveling all the years of shame and of uh, pain and like I said I thought I had I thought I had moved on but really I had just shut those parts of me down so it's time to kind of wake up and and you know I said I, that girl never had a chance 
to be herself because there was too much to cover. And so now at 40 years old, I'm like, who am I? What am I doing? And I think this is part of the crisis that, that kind of brought me to, 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 into a severe depression. I mean, I have a really good life. I have an amazing husband. He makes good money. I have two daughters. Um, you know, I live in Santa Monica. I have a really good life. <laughs> and, um, I mean, coming from where I come from, and my, my sisters live in Stockton, and they're, like, you know, addicts and a mess. And so I feel like, wow, that girl actually, you know, she survived. She, she, she's, she has a good life on the outside, but the inside was still full of all of that pain, um, and I was still just covering. And I think my husband... My husband didn't even know that my father was a drug dealer. And he, he must, he's, he's, we talked about it. I'm like, yeah, yeah. But, you know, just recently, as I've been telling my truth, I, have I even told him, we've been married 15 years, and he's just hearing some stories about what it was like for me. Um, so I am just becoming myself at 40 years old. And who am I? I don't know. I'm going to five meetings a week so I can try to figure it out. Um, I... I um, I don't know, how, what, what, how much time do I, what, what's the time that's passed? I have five minutes left? Okay. So I need to talk about God. Um, <laughs> um, so what eventually happened, I went to a severe depression. I started planning a suicide, and, um, and I was so afraid for my children that I got myself some treatment and finally got into this program. And I, I had, by the way, I'd also gained 50 pounds in those years um, and I couldn't stop eating um, that was what was I, that's how I survived the last five years before I got into treatment is by eating um, but God God is um, it's amazing that this program how it nourishes and and fosters a connection with with God because I didn't have a spiritual upbringing my parents were calling themselves Buddhists a little bit and they, they didn't <laughs> they didn't um, I think that's what you call yourself when you just kind of like I don't know um, and um, but I, I always believed in God I know I've believed in God since I was a little kid I, I knew um, I went to this Christian camp because I think it was just like a way somebody offered it to my mother and she was like sure and like I was gone for four weeks at Christian camp <laughs> And um, I remember thinking, like, these people are actually on to something. I mean, I didn't believe all the stories, but I was like, wow, they are happy, joyous, and free people. They were singing. They were playing music. Um, they, they didn't have the burden of the world that I felt like I had on myself. Um, so I... I've always believed in God. I've always kind of... I was that kid, you know... They're looking, everyone's looking up at the stars and like thinking about getting stoned or like going to get something to eat. And I was like, oh my God, we're, we're just on this little planet floating around in space. Like I, I wanted to know that there was something connecting us all. I wanted to believe. And I think the problem is, is that I believed in God, but I didn't include myself. I was like, God exists, but it doesn't include me. Um, and that's where the program has tied me into you know, God exists, and you exist, and everyone exists together. And and um, you know, it sounds very cliche, but it's it's where I feel. That's that when when I connect to that, when I connect to that, I am part of something. 
that is loving and whole and um, and endless, then I feel really relaxed and the anxiety goes away. Um, so what I do now, I got a sponsor kind of right away. Um, I got abstinent pretty quickly. Uh, she is a she's a tough sponsor. She's an old timer. She um, I call her every day. I started working the steps right away, and I think that's what helped me get abstinent right away. Um, I'm abstinent from, I think I said, sugar and white flour, um, and I was a sugar addict. I mean, I was eating two, three desserts a day, which helped me gain the weight I gained. But, um, uh, and I, I pray every day. Um, and, you know, I don't have a set time that I pray. I don't really have a ritual right now. I'm kind of like... Okay, God is always there. Well, I'm going to always talk to God. And so on the way over here, I was talking to God. Before I go to bed, I talk to God. Sometimes in the shower, I'm talking to God. He doesn't care, right? I mean, the guy, there, it's, God is there all the time. And he, then it's, there, it's, he's always available. And I'm calling it he, but I don't really have a picture in my mind of what God is. It's just a very strong energy that I feel safe with. And um, when I'm having... I, 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 you know, it was kind of pie in the sky. Like I was have the rose-colored glasses on for about six months, and now I'm kind of in a valley again with the food, where the food is calling to me, and I'm eating more. And um, it's I, I, that's when I know that I'm, I'm kind of losing my connection with God. Is when I feel like I want to have another serving, or I, you know, I, I'm, I start thinking about a certain food all day long that I want to eat, and then. Um, with the help of everyone else and listening to pod, these one of the I, I was super nervous about doing this podcast, but you know I listened to two podcasts yesterday. These mm-hmm. podcasts su- help me. This is it. Well, actually, the five minutes is five minutes to the five minute point. Uh, okay, <laughs> got it. <laughs> Perfectly imperfect. This program, right? That's what we do. <laughs> um, Okay, so I can I can talk a little bit more about God and about what what it's like now and what I do. Um, I read for for today every morning. Um, you know, it's I think as a compulsive, I can't. It's really hard for me to get like a, a um, ritual in place. Like sometimes I meditate. Sometimes I can't even meditate. Sometimes I meditate for five minutes, and the other day I meditated for an hour. Like, there's no rhyme or reason for my, and, you know, maybe that will smooth out as the program goes along. But right now I'm just, like, trying to be gentle with myself, and, um, and you know, I feel like I love meditation, but I don't do it. So I don't know how that figures out, but, um, and, you know, a, a lot of things, I think, I feel that way about um, and then the disease kind of I think the disease really wants me to stay unhappy the disease does not like me to be feeling good feeling free and feeling happy so it's like that that's always there and the work is is doing the steps so that you know that's always going to be there but you have the tools to kind of brush by it and um, not linger in it. So I'm on step nine, um, and it's really hard. Um, I've made 
like three amends so far and they've been all right. They've, they've actually went really well. Um, my first amends was with, uh, I had a best friend um, through college and I got engaged and she was supposed to be my maid of honor and we had a huge falling out and like two weeks before the wedding she just dropped out of the wedding or I kicked her out. When I talked to her a few weeks ago, neither of us could even remember what happened. So, you know, that really like shines the light on how important these moments are in our life that we separate from people and then we don't even realize why we separated. Um, that is the disease for sure. Um, and when I asked her if she would uh, hear my amends, she immediately was like, well, I have amends to make to you. And she was in 12 step um, also. And so it was really beautiful. So I have this beautiful experience with my first amends, and it still doesn't make me want to do any more amends. <laughs> so I'm kind of stuck. You know, I'm, my, my sponsor, she, she pushes. She's like, you know, it says, I, I guess I said to her the other day, it says, well, when you're willing, that, that's like, you have, to, you have to be willing to make the amends. And she's like, well, you know, trust in God, but road ashore. Like, she's like, you got to do some of the work here. Um, so I do my little baby steps of like writing out some letters. Um, my mother was also in prison right before I was born. She's never spoken to me about it. She was in prison for drug smuggling. And um, I, I, my mother, I said she's, she's very depressed. She's, I've always thought of her as super fragile. Um, that's why I had to fly the plane. She was not able to fly the plane. She needed to just like rest. That's my mother. And, um, but I want to know the story and I want to know it before she dies. So this, is, this ninth step is, is helping me um, to eventually hopefully hear that story. Um, and I had my whole kind of feeling towards my, I was very angry with my parents when I started this work and when I started in program. And program has really helped me understand that like my parents never recovered from their childhood. They're just two 70-year-old people that never recovered from their own childhood. And they brought that into their own kids' lives, um, not because they thought, ooh, I want to have some kids and really fuck them up. Um, sorry, I don't know if I can swear on the podcast. <laughs> um, but um, because they're just human and flawed and... Um, imperfect like all of us and um, seeing them more childlike has has kind of opened a door to to some recovery with them I haven't spoken to my father in in five years he um, is still very sick he's still an addict and um, just in the past few days I've thought about writing to him which is amazing that's program um, and um, I want to thank you all for letting me be of service. And I think I, you get to ask me some questions now, yeah? Thanks. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Thank you. You're amazing. Uh, I'm going to try to be as articulate as possible about this. It's a 
simple but hard to express question. Okay. Um, you mentioned your marriage, and you did not mention that it's in trouble, so I assume it's still a solid working marriage. Your husband fell in love with someone who, um, you know, has a character that's consistent enough that he loved you then, he loved you during the worst of it, he loves you now. What, if anything, do you think is fundamental before you got recovery that's still there? Thank you. What? Repeat the question. Okay. <laughs> the question is about um, my marriage and that my husband married me um, uh, and loved me before recovery. And there's, there's something kind of fundamental that's still there um, because I, I talked about how, um, how much I covered up and how much I kind of lied and, and um, had, how much shame I had. And I think... Um, Part of it was that my husband was wealthy and that when I met him, I felt like finally I'd worked a job five days a week since I was 14 and he was going to take care of me, um, which really went against all like, kind of feminist ideas that I had. Going through college, I worked three jobs to put myself through college. I got a scholarship. Um, I went to UCLA. I went to a good school. Um, but I kind of let go of the reins when I met him. I was 25, um, and I was so happy to have someone finally dr flying the plane that I just, um, you know. And, I, and our marriage, went. We, we had a pretty big crisis right around Thanksgiving, um, a kind of a turning point. It's kind of what I call my first miracle in this program. Um, I always thought that I would leave him. Uh, I, I don't feel like... We've been married 15 years. I, I, I'll, you know, I felt like we're we're very different. Part of because, you know, I I, I didn't really meet him as the true me. Um, but he's really he's a, a super loving guy. I mean, he's just all love. He does. He's so normal. He um, he's happy, joyous, and free. And um, he just, thank God I married somebody so loving. He's, he has so much unconditional love for me. And I get angry at him often because he has what I want. And instead of, instead of loving him for it, I'm super angry. I'm angry at him when, he's taking, when he can take care of himself and carve out time to work out and, you know, meditate. I, because I have a hard time doing that. I'm hateful at him for the things that I have a hard time doing. Um, and I finally kind of am really working on that and working on that so that we don't, we don't split up because he is super loving. Yeah. The question is, say somebody was, was thinking about committing suicide and what hope can I offer them from the program? Um, I think my own thoughts of suicide came from um, I'm never going to feel connected. I'm always going to feel alone. I'm the only one like this. Um, and, you know, I think that uh, when I entered program and heard my story and heard people being vulnerable and in pain and and telling their truth I was like wow there's other there's other people out there like me and just that connection 
you know, made me want to keep coming back um, because I hadn't really felt that connection, obviously, even with my husband. Um, so, you know, my advice would be like, you are not alone. Uh, there's so much love to be had in these rooms and, uh, and so much comfort and give it a chance. Just give it a chance. Um, you keep sugar in your house mm-hmm. and connected with that is how do you talk to your girls about being in the program yeah thank you for that question the question is um, if I keep sugar in the house and how I talk to my daughters about the program so my daughters are 10 and 13 and um, we have a very open relationship. We talk about everything, and part of that is probably in reaction to my parents never talking to me about anything. Um, but they know about program. Um, I'm, you know, I go to five meetings a week, which is a lot for to, for a mom, you know. And sometimes I'm gone at night, and sometimes I'm gone on Saturday morning. So they know about program. They know what it's about. They know about addiction. They know that they're from a line where um, a, fa- a family history of addiction. My husband's parents are also alcoholics. Um, and uh, it's not taboo, you know. I don't want problems and, and issues to be taboo in my household. I don't want them to think that nobody has them and that they're the only ones. So I think it's really actually a positive thing to show them that I have issues and that I'm getting help. And that's how you solve, solve being, being in pain is that you get help. Um, I do keep sugar in my house <laughs> because my kids... My kids love sugar. They, they, you know, I've always had, I, it's always been, a, there's nothing that's ever been taboo, no food. And they are super self-regulating. Um, it was just Valentine's Day, and I gave my daughter, uh, one, one, my youngest, a pair of uh, socks because she doesn't like chocolate. She just doesn't like candy. It just doesn't, sur- you know, she just doesn't get satisfied by it, um, which is just shocking. I know. Um, I know it's crazy, but I, I'm I'm a I'm a baker and I still bake for them. And all I can say is that is all God because I don't know how that there's sugar in my house and I'm not binging on it. But I think having a really um, cut and and clear abstinence of the I, the first abstinence I tried I broke after 30 days, um, and I need to have the no sugar. You know, it's not an option, not a problem. Abstinence because then it's just any, anything with sugar is off the table. and It's very cut and dry, and um, it's hard sometimes. Every time I'm in the grocery store, I look at the candy. Every time, and I, and I consider it every single time. I think that will never go away. But because I'm abstinent from sugar, I'm like, well, that's not an option for me. So, yeah. Can you tell us what your food is like today? What kind of food do you eat? Sure. Yeah, the question is about uh, my food today and how much. Um, you know, dropping the sugar and white flour, by the grace of God, I just, like, released the weight. Because I really don't regulate anything else I eat. I eat French fries. I eat, you know, um, hamburgers. I eat steak. I eat chicken. I, I really eat everything. Um, I think that I'm not isolating as much at home anymore so um, I don't have the opportunity to overeat as much I go to a meeting when I when I when I feel like isolating I take contrary action Um, we eat pretty healthy my husband is we met online and on a beta dating site 
like 17 years ago before Match and everything. And one of his things, this is like a dating site where you had to send your written profile and picture into the company and then they posted it online. Um, and his post was like, the things he detests, um, fast food junkies and smokers. And at the time I was total fast food junkie and a smoker. <laughs> so that's consistent with how much I covered up, you know. Um, I, but um, so we're, we're really healthy eaters in our house. Um, and actually I was still, even when I was pregnant especially, I was sneaking drive through you know, a couple times a day I would sneak out, go to the drive through come back, and then be like, you know, he'd be like, what do you want to make for dinner? I'm like, steamed vegetables, you know. <laughs> I had already had my hamburger. But um, I like healthy food now. I like, I like, um, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't learn to cook as a kid, and I've learned to cook um, in, in the past, you know, 10 years or so, and I like cooking healthy food, so... Um, Mainly healthy food is in my house, and mainly I eat healthy. I, you know, when food gets messy, I'm just, you know, I'm overeating things that are still on my list, like dried fruit and, you know, things that I that are fine but full of sugar still. Um, and we'll see. You know, I've been in program, as you guys know, not for very long, so we'll see what what course the dried fruit takes. <laughs> but um, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, when you were doing your fourth step, and I'm kind of assuming that your parents sort of played with situations of, of possible peril, how did you come to what your part was from dealing with your childhood? Yeah, that, um, interesting, So I was just listening to somebody talk on a podcast about that, about how that's like, about the column in the fourth step that's the most difficult is what was my part. Um, because I had a lot of resentment while writing out my fourth step. Um, and a lot of time my part was harboring the resentment, you know, a similar to um, drinking the poison and hoping the enemy will die type of situation. I was just harboring so much resentment um, and it was poison. And a lot of times that was my part. Yeah, um, my sponsor is, was like, you have to go to three to five meetings a week and you have to have service commitments at three of them. And um, I don't know, I'd never had a service commitment before. Um, and I don't know, I just... I just took the sponsor direction and started doing service and people started asking me to speak pretty early on and I was, I'm always terrified, but my sponsor is like, that's part of being of service in this, in this community is speaking when you're asked. So every time somebody asks you to speak, say yes. Um, Cause as, as I said, it's still really hard for me to tell my truth. I mean, I can't believe I got through 25 minutes of speaking with only you know, only tears coming once because the first few times I spoke, I think I cried the entire 10 minutes. Um, but that's always the key. Whenever I call my sponsor and say, I'm not feeling well, I'm feeling depressed, she says, call five people. And I'm always like, well, fuck, what about me? Like, you know? And she's, she's just like, she really talks to me about self-centered fear a lot because I sit in self-centered fear a lot. And as soon as I call those people, 
I'm out. You can't. I can't. It's hard to be concentrating on yourself when you're concentrated on someone else. So, um, I don't know. That's it's a hard. It's hard for me to be of service that way because I still have the idea that um, that people don't want to hear from me. Uh, but I do it anyway because I have a sponsor. Thank God for sponsors. <laughs> uh, as far as your higher power goes. Uh what was it like when you started with a higher power? How did it evolve? Did it evolve what it's like now? Um, like I said, I always, I've always, ha- I've always felt like God is out there. I just wasn't including myself in the equation with God. Um, and now I, it's hard. I still don't trust that, like I'm going to be that. You know that there's. That I'm. It's hard to trust that you're talking to someone and that. Or you know an entity, and that that, that is like you know going to somehow guide or help you. I mean, that for me, it's hard for me, to, but it works. I mean, I don't know how I'm abstinent from sugar. I've been a sugar addict all my life until I'm four years old, um, and the only explanation I have for it, you know, I, I have a very scientific mind trying to figure out like how is this working, and how does everybody have a different God? Like, it just sometimes it just doesn't make sense, but it works. So, I mean, when something's working, it's like you can't really deny it. Um, uh, but it's weird. It's not like I never believed in God. Um, I just have a hard time trusting, um, probably because I was flying that plane for so long, but I, and I never really realized I wasn't actually flying the plane. And so I have to kind of go back to that. Like, I really thought that I was, and that's probably another program, but um, I really thought that I was the one that was in charge of everything. Um, and I, and as a kid, I was at 13. I was paying all the bills, and I got a job at 14. And I, you know, left high school early at noon every day so that I could do my other activities and still keep my job. And I was doing it, but I wasn't doing it. I wasn't doing it and now I realize that and that connects me to the higher power always thinking that I'm really not in control and that's what relaxes me. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, piggybacking on that question, can you think of a specific time recently that you um, went through a fear and your higher, in retrospect, you were aware that your higher power yeah, the question is about um, how my um, higher, if there's been a, a situation where my higher power has gotten me through and um, my ninth step work. Um, so I spoke a little bit about my crisis that I had with my husband just after Thanksgiving. And um, I thought he was going to leave. Like he was, we had a, a, a discussion where he's like, I've already looked at apartments on Zillow. Like, I, I had a, a, um, a job that I needed to go to the next day after we had this. We were up all night kind of just hashing out, like, what was going to happen. You know, it's right before Christmas. We're separating right before Christmas and what's going to happen. And um, I was really angry and upset. And I had a panic attack, and I was up all night, and then I had to be at this job at 6 in the morning. And I was and at the job. I didn't have time. I, I, I wasn't able to check in, check my phone, what, and I thought, I'm going to get done with this job and come home, and he's going to be moved out. I really, with all my being, thought this. And I was just talking to God all day, saying, like, if he doesn't move out, things are going to change. 
you know, if you, if you just, if, if you help me through this, um, and I didn't even know that I wanted this in my marriage. I, I was, I was, I've been thinking about leaving for years. And until he decided he was going to leave, um, that's what woke me up. I'm like, wow, he, he, this loving person that's been dealing, that's dealt with so much, he's ready to leave. Um, and I, I prayed all day. The day went by. It was kind of a fog. I came home. Um, I was able to send one text right before I started work that day. Um, just a, I'm just like, God, help me with this text. I sent a super loving text. It just seems so weird. Like in this day, like I texted my husband about not ending our marriage, but that's what happened. Um, and I came home, and he was like, I'm not going to leave, but things need to change. And I heard it for the first time. And that, like I said, I felt like that's my first miracle. That's the first time where I was like, wow, this, is, this works. This really works. Yeah. Oh, and my ninth step. Is that time for the time? Okay. My ninth step work, um, I, I, my, my sponsor is having me just do one step every week. So um, I kind of got the first three easy amends off the, the plate, and now I'm kind of working on amends with my family. And so she's just, this week was just like right out one draft and then next week we'll, cha- we'll, we'll work on the draft and then the week, week after that it, the, you know so it's just now it's just slow I think because I had recovery so quickly my sponsor was kind of pushing me but the ninth step has been super rough and I think that's why my food got, has gotten messy in the past few weeks because it's just it's rough so thank you